Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Standard Theatre Podcast. I'm Nancy Durrant. I'm Nick Clark. And I'm Nick Curtis. Coming up on today's show, Clint Dyer on the National Theatre's 60th anniversary. It's England's biggest theatre. It's world-renowned, arguably the biggest theatre in the world. One that will be here as long as England is here. We'll be reviewing Jamie Lloyd's Sunset Boulevard. That stars multiple award-winning, multi-platinum-selling performer Nicole Scherzinger as Norma Desmond. We'll also be reviewing Kerry Cracknell's revival of Portia Cochran, now on at the Almeida Theatre. There's a wolf toot growing in me heart and it's turning me from everyone and everything I am. Portia is played by Conversations with Friends star and podcast alum, Alison Oliver. And for her role as Ursula Monckton in Ocean at the End of the Lane, Charlie Brooks joins us from the Noel Coward Theatre. It's brought up a lot of emotions because it's like the little girl in me is really present at the moment. At 12 years old, this was a dream and I was lucky enough to have been able to convince my parents, having seen a show in the West End at 12, to sort of send me to drama school. Yes. And despite having different successes throughout my career, this yeah. for me feels very poignant. Hello, welcome back to the Standard Theatre Podcast. Nick, it's been a big week, hasn't it? <laughs> it's been a very big week, yeah. So this week we announced the shortlist for the 67th Evening Standard Theatre Awards. Woohoo! Woo-hoo. <laughs> they began in 1955, three years after the Mousetrap opened in London. And, um, well, bar a, a short break for COVID, they've been going ever since. And I think this year's shortlist is... is Cracking, really. Oh, I mean, it, it really so r- covers the whole gamut, you know, from the tiniest print show that that sort of made it to uh, to well, Nicole Scherzinger um, yeah. <laughs> belting her lungs out in uh, in Sunset I mean, Boulevard. It's so difficult to whittle it down. It was fun, and there were some spirited discussions in the in the combination sure. of the shortlist. I have to say, I mean, kudos to the to, to the panel. They they worked really hard over the year. They went to see a hell of a lot of stuff. Oh, um, oh it's so difficult. It is. I know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough, tough life. But I mean, but I mean, they're not paid to do this. They, you know, no, this is something extra on top no, of their. Uh, really, yeah. they're, they're, they're super income. dedicated so they are they're really dedicated but um, I mean if you just look at the list I mean I'm just picking out the emerging talent list yeah. Taylor Russell you know TV star for making her stage debut in The Effect at the National Theatre Andrew Richardson who astonishingly had not performed professionally before playing Sky Masterson in uh, Guys and Dolls completely and he made that role absolutely his own he was great absolutely I, thought, I really that. thought he was like a proper seasoned yeah. musical theatre absolutely I thought so I kept no, looking at his biography thinking I kept, this must be some massive theatre I've never heard of yeah. rather than some college, you know, barn that he'd been performing <laughs> in for two years before. But also on there, Tatenda Shamiso, whose play about uh, transitioning from female to male, no ID, started out at Theatre Peckham and the Vaults. Oh. Um, you yeah, know, the Vaults sadly no more, but made yeah. it to the Royal Court. And you know, now they're on the uh, emerging talent shortlist. And yeah. um, there are obviously lots of established names on there in the directors category. Mm. Rebecca Frecknell for that astonishing streetcar named Desire, which looked so set to be a disaster when the lead actress oh. had to withdraw a week before opening 
opening night and then Patsy Farron stepped in and uh, you know, absolutely blew us all away. Um, but she's up against her co-star, Anjana Vassan, who I think all the judges were, are, are huge fans of. And, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. This rightly. podcast yeah. is a stan account of. Anyway. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, theatre knows, doesn't it? Yeah. Really, Anjana Vassan. I think TV is slowly cottoning on. Yes. She is a major, major talent. She's I think so that's, charismatic. Yeah. I think. You know, yeah. She's one of those actresses, like, in a smaller role or in a leading role, like um, when she did A Doll's House yes. at the Lyric Hammersmith. Yes. She's like a tiny person with massive charisma. Mm. Absolutely. But it's sure that category, I think, as well, sort of shows the spread of stuff. You've got Streetcar, which is a modern classic. You've yeah. got Sophie Okonedo doing Medea in mm. a brand new theatre. You know, yeah. So her place. That was an absolute wow. And you've got Rachel Sterling, you know, theatrical royalty doing Private Lives yeah. at the Donmar. Yeah, um, exactly. So it, it just gives you an idea of the sort of richness. I tell you what, the National Theatre's done bloody well. Oh. The no- National Theatre has year. a huge number of nominations yeah. here. I mean, two of the nominees for Best New Play, uh, The Motive in the Queue by Jack Thorne and Dear England by James Graham, who won for yep. Best of Enemies last year. And the subject yeah. matters couldn't be more different. They really. couldn't be more different. Both, <laughs> they were incredible. Both fantastic plays. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think as, as well, if you look at the nominations for Best Musical, you've got Guys and Dolls, which is a sort of rock-solid classic. You know, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a bad production of that. No, this is an excellent production yeah. of that. Let's keep the party so light. Let's keep the party so Never get out of my sight. But it's up against this yeah, this three weird, new musicals. Yeah, three new musicals. One set on a housing estate in Sheffield, standing at the at the sky's edge. Open up your door. I can't see your face no more. One about the problems of being a queer performer working as an usher on Broadway, trying to get your first musical written, which mm. follows a sort of it's called a strange loop, and the narrative loops back endlessly on itself. It is very strange. <laughs> And uh, Tammy Faye, a musical about a, a televangelist on a... T- another on a James Graham joint there another as well. Another yeah. James Graham joint, absolutely. Yes, yeah, you're right. It was difficult to whittle it down to a shortlist, but it was great to just remind oneself of all the astonishing stuff that uh, that has gone on this year. Well, I know, and I just think, sorry, Nick, yeah. I just I just sort of think, you know, after the f- couple of years, I could keep harping on about it, hopefully we'll be able to shut up mm. about it, sort of come end of this year, but the, the couple <laughs> of years theatre had before um, that... Yeah. It just is absolutely amazing to me that this kind of quality of work has sprung up, like you know, like, like sort of green shoots out of yeah. absolutely. Well, I was yeah. going to say Nothing. none more visible than in most promising playwright. Who I think you look at those names and those productions, and you think, wow, these are young, vital voices. That yes, have, you know that that deserve the, this recognition. I mean, we're looking at uh, you know, Anishka Lucas for for Elephant here, mm. Kimberly. Untitled Fuck Miss Saigon play, and of course Sleepover, yeah. Matilda Feyasayo Ibini, who which we absolutely loved on this podcast. And yeah, many yeah. Other people and did the too. last on the this is Isley Lynn for the swell at the Orange Tree. But it's not just the stars that we're celebrating in these awards; it's everybody really who yeah. who gets the show on night after night. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. that's uh, that's one thing I think. But it's also it's this is a really a time for the industry to come together, you know, yeah. and, and sort of celebrate each other. Yeah, so I think it's true. great for that. Other stuff this week, mm. I noticed that quite an interesting uh, development from the National Theatre when they announced, uh, I think, the sort of early stages of their new seasons. Yeah. They're going to start piloting 6.30pm performances, yeah. which 
yeah, has been received certainly among everyone I've mentioned yeah. it to with unmitigated delight. They've done some quite complicated research, so they were only able to send me sort of top lines. But essentially, everybody just wants to be able to go straight off to work and have some time to chat about it, have a drink or have dinner or get home without being knackered afterwards, which yeah. I think is perfectly reasonable, yeah. actually. And obviously, it's not going to be all performances. Yeah. So it's Tuesdays and Thursdays they're piloting this. Uh, I think it's, uh, right. yeah, okay. they're going to be doing um, it on particular days yes. just to see what happens. Actually, speaking of the National Theatre, it's it's their 60th anniversary. Yep, and I caught up with their Deputy Artistic Director, Clint Dyer, earlier this week. I started by asking him, basically, what does it mean that the National is now 60 years old? Well, it's it's England's biggest theatre. It's world-renowned, arguably the biggest theatre in the world. Um, certainly is in terms of NT at Home and its digital output that we put out. The significance of a theatre lasting this long, as in three theatres on the South Bank. For me personally, to be part of the National Theatre's story is an, an amazing thing in itself. And I think anybody who's belongs to the building right now feels a, a joy and holds the recognition of being part of such an amazing story. One that will be here as long as England is here. Yes, indeed. And to celebrate, you're giving away tickets to 60 shows. Who are they going to? 21 to 25-year-olds. This is such a, a wonderful thing to be able to, to try and engage younger audiences in theatre, but also to engage them to such leading artists and such work that everyone considers to be of such of, of the highest calibre is an amazing thing for us to be able to do. Rufus Norris is stepping down as artistic director. Do you think it's time for it to be a woman in the job? I, I feel the, the best person should get the job. I'm always going to kind of sit on that side. Now, if you ask me, do I think the best person for the job is a woman? <laughs> I'd say yes. <laughs> but but I'm not, it's not to say that anyone shouldn't be putting their best foot forward and trying to convince the board that they're the right person now for the job. I mean, you know, the now of it, I think, is always the thing that people kind of forget. When we talk about the now, we talk about whose voices need to be heard, who has the new stories, who has the uh, reach, who has the capability to tap into where we are today as a society. Who has that breadth of thinking to make a national conversation the most exciting it can possibly be? In essence, that's what we're gonna be looking for. So in a way, the, the question on diversity or, or gender is answered by that statement. Any idea what a national theatre will look like in 60 years time? <laughs> well, the building's gonna look the same, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I hope it's a theatre that doesn't need to have the same kind of conversations we're having now, just in terms of, oh, is it definitely going to, it's got to be this type of person or it's got to be that type of person, or, or the struggles that I find and have found within the theatre industry in terms of voice, in terms of um, being able to articulate a wider understanding of the human psyche and the human experience. You know, I, I hope that eventually it will just be based on the creativity of the artists and not necessarily just on their scope. But you're confident there'll always be a place for live theatrical performance, however far technology moves on in the next 60 years. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. You know, I, my hope is that with the, with the advent of National Theatre Live and National Theatre at Home and our streaming services, is that actually it will encourage people to, to want to experience live work, but also 
understand the difference between theatre and film. The, the author's voice, the ability to transport us into a different realm is what theatre can do in a way that film and TV can't. And I hope that that will be more evident. Clint Dyer's production of Othello for the National Theatre, starring Giles Torreira, will be streaming free globally on YouTube in celebration of the anniversary. Oh, and it's a good one, that, so give it a watch. Absolutely. Let's get into our first review. It's Sunset Boulevard. (laughs) So, yes, Sunset Boulevard, um, which we've all seen. I thought this was remarkable. Yeah. Astonishing, actually, is the word I would use. A rave from Nick Curtis the next day, let me tell you. A rare find. Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) For those who don't know it, it's Andrew Lloyd Webber's adaptation of the 1950 Billy Wilder comedy film noir about a washed-up silent film star who sort of gets her hooks into an impoverished screenwriter and the sort of moral uh, equivocations he has to make in order to, to live with her. Yeah, he um, also doesn't do that much equivocation. Yeah, he doesn't I mean, do that, I know. He sort of, like, takes the path of least resistance at yes, almost every yeah, time. He's sort of a low-life hack writer. I don't think yeah. he, he's yeah. too far astray from his... That's fair enough. He's supposed <laughs> to show a little bit of promise. I mean, because the sort of yeah. subplot of it, of it is that there is a sort of uh, secondary romance mm. with his friend's girlfriend who uh, believes in him as a writer and yeah. sort of wants to encourage him to be better in every way, uh, you know, professionally and uh, but I've got to say on that, watching it the entire way through, at no stage, everyone throwing themselves at him the entire time. I didn't think he really deserved it very much. Right. I think Tom Francis, who is a relative newcomer, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's, almost everyone in this, apart from da, 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 uh, Nicole Scherzinger, mm-hmm. is a relative newcomer. Yeah, and he's. I think he's pretty good as Joe Gillis because oh, he's, he's really barely likable. Mm. Yeah, well, <laughs> like, I think you yeah. have to have a I mean, that's the thing about film noir, isn't it? There's a certain sort of seediness to it. Yeah, rumpled, you know, soiled. So he's very good at that. He has that look he could be in a 50s picture you know what I mean for me he really reminded me of that sort of the the way that uh, old school starriness that say a Jeremy Allen White from The Bear has he has that sort of otherworldly he does actually look quite a lot like Jeremy yeah that's what I thought he's a bigger guy and he brings that charisma and he has to be very sort of sullen for quite a lot of the of the show but still it means that not all of the focus is on her. I mean, most of it is, but he yeah. still manages to wrestle away some of that because I think he is a he real is star in his own right. And yeah. I think that sort of helps like, for you yeah. to kind of go, why are these women interested in him? And but also, I feel like Grace Hodgett Young, she does a really lovely turn as Betty Schaefer because mm. she's sort of young and she's idealistic and she falls in love with the Joe... Gillis, who she sees in his early work, yes, rather than the sort of cynical, conniving, self-important twerp that we see. <laughs> she sees the joke he could be rather exactly. than the joke. Exactly, yeah. 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 Felt, that felt very real to me. That idea of a of a woman basically sort of ignoring all the red flags <laughs> because they have this idea of what could be. So for me, I you know I think we talked about it afterwards uh, over I think the second martini and um, and she uh, and, and we were but I was like yeah no I I totally see that I totally see how a young woman would do that mm. and indeed possibly a woman of my age okay. <laughs> this is the kind of thing we do that's enough on Joe Gillis yes. we should talk a little bit about, about the reaction to it when this was announced because mm. it's um, Jamie Lloyd is the director the most exciting director operating today possibly arguably mm. I know I think that's not too arguably, contentious yeah. A statement. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah very good at sort of taking classics or known properties mm. roughing them up yeah. and presenting them to you in a way that, that seems completely new yeah. Yeah. Um, he's especially just, ones with women who get a raw deal he's just come off the effect where he, he turned you know a, a 
uh, screen star Taylor Russell, Taylor Russell into you know gave her a uh, theatre debut opposite Papa Seydoux, you know the one of the most able stage actors we've got we've got mm-hmm. today. That was remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, a while ago, he announced he was doing Andrew Lloyd Webber's Sunset Boulevard with. Nicole Scherzinger. Now, previously, <laughs> it's been done by grand dames yeah. of the theatre. So it's been done by Patty LuPone. It's been done by Glenn Close. Mm. I think Elaine Page did it at one point. The part of Norma Desmond has always been a sort of stately ocean liner of a role that she sort of mm. tacks onto the stage, anchors down, mm. and sings these numbers. Yeah. I never thought the school Blast was her horn. <laughs> yes, exactly. Too. Yes, exactly. Yes. So Scherzinger is, is 45 well, I, years old. I think we described her uh, the announcement of her playing Norma Desmond as a marmalade dropper, which uh, I think yes. in the theatre world, that probably... <laughs> Was, yeah, I think uh, that's probably more than true. a few raised eyebrows there. Um, so she is young in the history of the role, but if yeah. you if you sort of look at the timing of it, it's set yeah. right around about 1950. Makes she'd have been sense, born yeah. at the sort of start of, of pictures. Uh-huh. She'd have been a start. She, the the idea is she became a sort of teenage star at 15. Mm-hmm. She would have been washed up by her mid 20s mm-hmm. and therefore festering for 20 years. Yeah, until exactly. Yeah. And considered, she a com- a considered completely kind of you know yeah. like a 45 year old woman would be mm-hmm. just not even considered as yeah. attractive or worth anything well, in 1950. This, this, this is a show, this is a take on fame, nostalgia, yeah. but also the Hollywood machine and how yeah, it yeah, chews yeah. people out and leaves them absolutely, and, you know, and there's a line for dead. There's a line in it about, we didn't need words, we had faces mm. then. And Nicole Scherzinger has the most extraordinary <laughs> face. And in Jamie Lloyd's production, it's about 45 feet high <laughs> <laughs> on the stage because there's, a lot, of, there's yes. a lot of cinematic technique in this yeah. production. There there's are live streaming. Steady cam sort of cameras or, you know, sort mm. of gyroscopic cameras following uh, the actors around projecting their faces on the back wall at one point there's a great coup de theatre where it breaks out of the side of the Savoy Theatre mm. it's, it's an incredible moment amazing. and the, the, the audience were sort of gasping in it delight when so he comes excited. back in on the stage Joe it's the sort of thing that, that, that Jamie Lloyd just excels at I mean yeah. it's absolutely sort of blowing you off your feet that mm. filming is the best I've ever seen in, in a theatre because yeah. normally it's really embarrassing yes, and you're sitting exactly. there going yeah. oh can we just get back to the live performances whereas here and there is a moment there's the, the one you talk about when it exits the theatre which is just glorious but but even before that, one that had me sort of gasping like a teenager in delight was when it, the reveal of the of the titles. Yeah, it's like he's driving, but it's done in a really theatrical way, and his face is shot up on this massive screen and the titles come up and it's like oh wow yeah. they're doing the noir they're doing the theatre they're doing the whole thing it's a perfect marriage and it is it's forms. even got that sort of back projected thing yeah, of him yeah. you know in the in the car isn't yeah. it it's sort of the old school uh, way of doing it yeah. uh, filming a car journey yeah no it's wonderful really really but, wonderful but yes let's get let's, let's get, get back, back to Nicole skirts, yeah it's I mean um, I think I described it as a very it's a, a very sort of exposing role I mean not mm. only because her face is projected mm. in high definition I think enormously large yeah. Yeah. but she's spends the whole uh, show barefoot in a very clingy slip. Um, It's a very physically expressive performance. She does quite a lot of... She's not afraid to look absurd in this, Mm. which I think is very brave yeah and it also it it speaks I think so much to the silent movie star thing as well Mm. there's this really wonderful she sort of sends herself up in a way she's sort of flicking her hair and pouting at the camera as she's walking away and things like that Mm. almost like she's in a Pussycat Dolls music video Mm. but actually it works equally well as a nod to the character's history in silent movies using her face to communicate to the audience it's super clever it's really clever yeah yeah. it's interesting you say that because I think her acting throughout is exceptional, actually. Mm. Yeah. And her mugging and, her, yeah. you know, is very Norma Desmond-like. Yeah. The only thing that I felt with that is it occasionally feels like it was in a different production. And the reason I say that is because everyone else, there's no other comic touches to it. So when she's mugging and turning to the audience or turning to the camera, which the audience obviously mm. sees writ large, 
Joe's not doing that. No one else is doing that. True, although Max, the character uh, played by David Thaxton, uh, yeah. of her sort of uh, her her sort of lurch, <laughs> who's kind mm. of you find out <laughs> yeah, her first husband well hanging around like a bad smell. Mm. There are some moments which are really quite funny that he does. I mean, there are comic moments, but you're right. It is her show. It's yeah. Nicole's show. Yeah. And it's Norma Desmond's show. Everyone else's characterization or kind of just weight in the thing is slightly at the mercy of that, I think, or slightly reduced because of that. Yeah. But one thing we haven't talked about at all is Nicole Scherzinger's singing, mm. which is like oh, yeah. sort yeah. of... That's the elephant in the room. So, <laughs> I mean, it's like the gargantuan dinosaur yeah. in the room. It's massive. It is massive. I was absolutely stunned, actually. I have to say, there were moments where I was like, bloody hell. I felt like I was, you know, in a wind tunnel or something. It was absolutely incredible. (laughs) In her first big number, I was like, she's holding back. She's actually holding Mm. back because if she doesn't, she'll deafen the audience and she'll blow the PA system. Yes, knock the back wall of the Savoy. Absolutely (laughs) unbelievable. I'm not convinced she needs miking up during the song. I think that's probably I think she's having to Mm. really hold Mm. in... That voice is incredible. So all those people who wondered, does she have the chops for this? Yes, <laughs> she does. Yes, yes, she absolutely does. Well, it is astonishing. As we, I said, we could have assumed she could word. sing the, the role, yeah. but could she act it? Yeah. And they, she's yeah, answered that she too. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. absolutely. And it's a stylized production. Yeah. It's not a sort of small naturalistic thing. It's uh, And who knows whether she's capable of doing that. But it worked. But her and this production and Jamie Lloyd, they work together so beautifully yeah. I think it's one hell of a show if you can get a ticket that Jamie Lloyd has made sure there are some cheap tickets which yes. again you know kudos really to quite for cheap that. really as well, quite like cheap properly from about cheap. £21 I think so if you can get a chance it's, it's currently booking the 6th of January I would bet yeah. on it extending um, maybe going over the other side of the maybe ocean maybe going over the other side of the Atlantic if you can catch Nicole Scherzinger while she's in it do so yeah absolutely Let's go to the ads. In part two, we'll be joined by Charlie Brooks at the Noel Coward Theatre. Why not hit follow on this podcast in the meantime? Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm Tim Minchin, and you are listening to the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast.
Welcome back to the Standard Theatre Podcast. We are in the Donald Aubrey room at the Noel Coward Theatre and with me is Charlie Brooks, who is starring in The Ocean at the End of the Lane, the National Theatre production here. Welcome, Charlie. Thank you, Nick. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? This is nice, isn't it? It's lovely. It's really rather <laughs> sumptuous. I wish we had video today as well as audio. But I know. Yeah, We're yeah. both sat in lovely armchairs oh, and a lovely fireplace. Lovely armchairs by a fireplace. I feel like you know, I should be smoking a pipe or something. <laughs> but yeah. So for those of us, this is this is the returning 2019 production that started yes. out of the National, transferred to the West End. It's been out on tour. For those who don't know the play based on a book by Neil Gaiman. Tell us a little bit about it and about your character. Okay, I'm just going to prepare myself. When you speak about this play, it's quite complicated and it has so many kind of deep meanings to it. But I think fundamentally it's about um, a man is transported to his 12-year-old self and we go on this adventure with this young boy of uh, his own self-discovery, dealing with a trauma that he went through as a child, which was, in our play version, losing his mum, having a new lodger, or is she really a lodger, mm-hmm. move-in, um, stroke stepmom type character, and dealing with that and the impact that has on the family. And all the things that sort of go unsaid within families, um, not being able to speak about his, how upset he is, I suppose, about his mum, his dad sort of brushing it under the carpet, losing all the creative things that they used to have as kids that their mum would take them to. And so he uses books as an escape, and he then meets this ever young girl called... Letty, hmm. um, who becomes his friend and holds his hand basically on his big adventure to face up to the demons and to fight off sort of dark forces from yes. another universe. Yeah. <laughs> and you're playing Ursula. The I play Ursula, the you? stepmother, lodger, nanny type and character. who is not what she seems, I think it's She's safe to say. She's not what she seems. We don't no. want to blow any surprises no, here. No, I but. know. That's the thing. It's um, We want people to come and see it because it's not the type of play that... Like I said, you can easily speak about it's so beautifully visual as well and what the creatives have done with the physical movement, the lighting, the sound um, and how the puppetry and the illusions and magic are all brought to life on stage is something to be seen really Mm. and um, it has a very cinematic kind of feel, you know, through the lighting and it's quite an extraordinary piece of work to be part of. I feel totally honoured. Right, yes, yeah. It's. I mean, it is a work of fantasy, isn't it? But yes. in, within sort of Neil Gaiman's over, it's one of the sort of slightly less fantastical ones, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I, I, he- I heard a word, or I read a word, I think it might be in the programme, that described it the other day, autobiofictional. He says it's the closest thing to his... Uh, memories of a childhood what he remembers and and that's really what the play is about as well you know what we remember as children and how things seem so different and what is real and what's not what's imagination what's reality yes Um, yes I interviewed Neil in 2019 when the play started out and um, he was sort of saying then that he sort of wrote it for his then partner Amanda Palmer to explain to her saying if you want to you know if you want to see the see the man, look at the boy. And he was saying, this is the boy that I was, effectively. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he, he said, didn't he, that he struggles talking about feelings. And yes. so he wrote them. And it started off as a short story and then transpired into kind of what it is now. Yeah, what a terrible thing to happen. And for you to see. I'm so very sorry. I didn't really know him. And you can never really know how anyone actually feels, can you? No matter what they say. Is that right? And there is, this isn't much of a spoiler, but I just think it's the most extraordinary thing that one of the facts from his life that he put in the play is the fact that his family's car was stolen and the thief 
killed himself in the car. Yeah. Which, when you're a young boy, it's no surprise that that sticks in your mind, is yeah, it, really? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 How does it feel being back on stage? Oh, do you know, it's amazing. I mean, for me, the ner the nerves never really go away. Yeah. <laughs> and if they do momentarily, then I get nervous that I'm not nervous. Yes, so. <laughs> sure. But it's it's great. You know, it's been quite a transformative year for me on a personal level as an actress for many different reasons. But In what way, if that's something you're happy to um, tell me about? Well... How long have we got? <laughs> <laughs> we can do um, a special extended podcast. Let's talk on, on, the, on the acting side of things. I suppose I've never done the same thing for so long. Yeah. And so finding new things and then thinking that you're going in one direction and it growing and then, you know, pulling it back and trying something new through notes when the director comes to see it. And, you know, I'm constantly kind of analyzing every little nuance and, and word and trying to you know, get the, there's no such thing as the perfect performance at all, my God. But, you know, I'm constantly striving to get that. Yeah. And so that has been a real exercise for me as an actress, um, working so closely with such a brilliant cast. You know, you go into this sort of little bubble, which has been huge because my daughter's moved to New York this year to go and do experimental theatre. Oh, fantastic. Um, at NYU, which is amazing, but on an emotional level, kind of having these two things run side by side and saying goodbye to her. and Yeah. Um, that's been quite tough. And now being in the West End, which yes. is taking me 25 years. <laughs> and it was... Well, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> you know, it, it's brought up a lot of emotions because... Um, it's like the little girl in me is really present at the moment because right. at 12 years old this was a dream and I was lucky enough to have been able to convince my parents, um, having seen a show in the West End at 12, to sort of send me to drama school yes. and, and support me. It took a while but they did and so it's like a, despite having different successes throughout my career, this yeah. for me feels very poignant and very full circle moment and it was like press night makes me really emotional saying that. I don't know why. I'm obviously feeling a little bit raw at the moment for one reason or another, but um, like um, the ultimate thank you. And, you know, and it was worth it to my mum and dad because they made a lot of sacrifices. Mm. And I don't know, the 12-year-old in me is currently bubbling. <laughs> that's probably very, well, apposite for this show, really. Yeah, it? To be that's what I mean. It it yeah. yeah, it has this kind of alchemy about it and this mm. magic and... At 42, the last four years, I've been on such a journey of self-discovery myself and made some really big changes. And, you know, that this play happened at this time in my life. Yes. It's just, um, yeah. Yeah. It feels a bit magical. Obviously, a lot of people will know you from EastEnders. Yes. And, um, but, but, uh, or not, I suppose, maybe not. <laughs> not just, well, um, I suppose what I was wondering was with that 12-year-old girl, what was the ambition then? Would that have been a major soap or was it West End? West End. West End. That's what you sort of set out to do and yep. what you trained for. Yes. Well, I didn't actually train because I went into EastEnders when I was 17. I did go to drama school. Yes. But I didn't go to like Yorada or Lambda or Bristol <clears throat> Vic or Juilliard, which was the top of my list of things to do. Yeah. Um, and so because of that, I think I've carried around a bit of an insecurity and sort of, you know, um, will I ever be good enough? Am I going to do that? Do I know enough? All those sort of fears that we carry around with us inside. And now here I am. But obviously EastEnders at 17 was huge and massive yeah. and, you know, wonderful, amazing part of my life. And it's definitely given me another platform. And as people may or may not know, I've sort of gone back and yes. left again and gone back Um but yeah, no, this is this was always the dream. It is, yes. I mean, one looks back at the history of his dentist, it's the most amazing repertory company of people who, you know, <laughs> who've you know, come into that, gone out of it, sometimes gone back in. Yeah. It's an extraordinary thing. Do you still have a good relationship? Are you still fond of the show? And Yeah. yeah. I mean, it will always be a, a 
you know, a little piece of me will always be there for sure. Yeah. That was my training ground really. And there's no other training ground like it for film and TV because it's fast paced. Yes. It was an amazing experience. Um, I'm somebody who likes change. I like to try new things. I'm curious about life and everything that comes with it. So staying still for too long, um, I find quite tricky. Um, You moved to London, I think I'm right, with your brother Ben, is that right? And you both sort of studied together or started out in the business together? Yeah, well, we both went to Ravenscourt Theatre School, which is like a kiddies theatre school. You've set up I Am Pro together. Tell me a little bit about I Am Pro. It's something my brother and I and my brother's wife, Emma, set up. She was a teacher and very organised. And um, my brother was actually a child actor, but then gave that up and went into production. Hmm. And my career, of course, is you know, been on the screen and stage. So we came up with this idea because of my insecurity about having not gone to drama school and should I go back and is that mad to go back? I just, you know, I sort of thought, what could I build that I think people need Hmm. where they could watch lessons, masterclasses from particular practitioners, learn about Stanislavski and all that sort of thing because that's what I'd like to have and what I'd like to learn or proper voice classes and... And then the other problem is people can't afford or get into drama school very easily. Yeah. And if you don't go to drama school, you don't get an agent. Without an agent, you can't get the work. So there's this muddy kind of area where people are stopped in their tracks from entering the business. And so what we're trying to do, or are doing slowly but surely with Iron Pro, is create opportunity nurture and train people online we're starting in-person events as well there's nothing like being in the room you can't take that away but what you do have through Iron Pro is access to all of the coaches that you know all our coaches come from Lambda and Bristolwick and some of those big ones and they're fantastic Um, and then opportunity we do get seen events where agents come and cast and directors and directors and they get an opportunity to perform we've had like Sharon Horgan Nicholas Pinnock brilliant some brilliant people on doing masterclasses which we do monthly great yeah, mentoring with me, which is more like, because I say to them, I'm learning alongside you. I'm on this journey too. This yeah. was built so that I could learn, you yeah. know. And I just share with them my experience because I'm definitely not an expert in anything. I'm very much still learning. Great. Well, um, with regard to your performing career, what's yes. the ambition now after beyond Ocean at the end of the lane? Would it be more theatre, more TV, more reality TV or you know, competitive yeah. TV? <laughs> I don't think more reality TV for me um, at this point. I'd love to do more theatre. I'd love to. I'm j- I feel like I'm just scratching the surface and have really built in confidence over this last year. Yeah. I still have my wobbles and, you know, can be filled with self-doubt like the best of them. But, um, yeah, a couple of chats about potential TV series happening next year. Um, so, I don't Brilliant. know. We'll see. It's We live a life of uncertainty. Yes. And you have to get comfortable with that, which Absolutely. Yeah. can be challenging and exciting. But. Brilliant. Well, Charlie Brooks, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you. The Ocean at the End of the Lane is on at the Noel Coward until the 25th of November. Right, let's go to the ads. In part three, we'll be reviewing Portia Cochran, which is now on at the Almeida Theatre. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Matthew Modine, and you're listening to the Evening Standard Theater Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. There was a pretty exciting announcement this week, wasn't there, Nick? There was. Uh, there's going to be a new play by Jez Butterworth. Yes, he of Jerusalem and the Ferryman fame. And not only that, he is teaming up again with Ferryman director, none other than Sam Mendes, for a show called The Hills of California, which is going to apparently run at the Harold Pinter Theatre from January the 27th until June the 15th next year. And now if that's not one to whet the appetite, I yep. don't know what is. I think uh, one of my um, more nerdy compatriots pointed out that this is the first Joe's Butterworth play not to open at the Royal Court. Huh. Ah, oh yes, because he did the river as well, didn't he? Yeah. Wasn't that him, yeah, yeah. and the, with and the um, Dominic Aaron, West. I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, we so don't know, don't know what went on there. Jess Butterworth has now outgrown the royal court. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we don't know a huge amount about it. All in the press release, it says Blackpool, 1976, the driest summer in 200 years. The beaches are packed. The hotels are heaving in the sweltering back streets, far from the chocolates and the donkey rides. The Webb sisters are returning to their mother's rundown guest house as she lies dying upstairs. Oh, he does like a family drama. Doesn't he, he does. Interesting, this is a predominantly female family drama, though, because mm. a lot of his plays have been quite blokey in the past. Well, I know the, the Ferryman was, you know, was, you know yeah, a good sort of half and half, yeah, I think, yeah, actually. Yeah. And, and, and probably mm. the most um, memorable role is the leading female role, I think, actually. Maybe he's one. growing into his feminine side yeah. as, he, as he gets older. Cheers, <laughs> <Jess> Butterworth. <laughs> <laughs> right, shall we get into our second review? It's Kerry Cracknell's revival of Portia Coughlin. I suppose he's not there when I go. Go where, Pep? What are you talking about? Before, I was always sure it was the one thing that's kept me going, and now I don't know anymore. You both have seen this. Nick, what's it about? This is a 1996 play by um, Irish writer Marina Carr. It is about a woman turning 30 uh, in a rural part of Ireland, not often represented on the stage, the Irish Midlands, Offaly County. She's married to a rich man. She's intensely desired by most of the men in the village. She's having a pretty awful life. Is a light knockabout comedy, this one? Not really, no. It's also her 30th birthday is also the 15th anniversary of her twin drowning himself in the river that borders her father's property and is very close to where she lives with her, with the rich husband who she does not love. Uh, very, As I say, very close to lots of men who sort of come on strong to her who mm. she both attracts and derides uh, in equal measure. It stars Alison Oliver, as we said, who came to national attention in Sally Rooney's Conversations with Friends, but who above all, I think, is an absolutely brilliant stage actor. Yeah, She, we, was, in, she was wonderful in Dancing at Lunacy actually, at the National. Really she luminous really in that. Lovely. Really you know, And actually that rather odd play, Women Beware the Devil, she yeah. was clearly, a, absolutely, again, a luminous presence Stand on that. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Now those were sort of ensemble pieces or more ensemble pieces mm. here it's very much focused on yeah. her I mean you know she's the title role she's the focus of, of, of the whole thing it's essentially I think about her position regarding the landscape and the patriarchy and the history of Ireland to a certain extent this is about very much about a woman she's 
utterly nihilistic and unmaternal. Yes. Like she's not this sort of in any way an ideal woman in the male gaze. It's, it's a really amazing role, actually. I think yeah. it, she's she's really quite unsympathetic in yes. many many ways, except for the fact that you can see where it's all coming from. Mm. Because this place is basically killing everyone yes. in its own in in its own way. There's loads of people being vile to each other on the basis of the relative status of their families going yeah. back generations, which sort of brings home what a prison this place is for so many people she's by no means Portia's by no means the the only person for whom Belmont which is the name of the sort of village or town that they're in is a trap she and her and her twin Gabriel are basically just the only people who've got the kind of who are sort of different enough and differently wired enough to try and find a way out of it yes everybody else just sort of wallows in it and, yeah. and has a terrible time. There's a great uh, someone reminisces about them when they were, when they were children stealing a rowing boat and uh, yeah. being caught and saying where were you going and they just say away away yeah. anywhere, anywhere but here anywhere but here says, yes, basically. Is the they're sort of seven years old and you're like Jesus yeah yeah so it is I mean it is a grim it's a grim milieu that it exists in it, which borders on pastiche I'd have to say yeah uh, definitely I, I checked back and interestingly 1996 was also the year that Martin McDonough's Beauty Queen of Linane opened in London right. which has a similar tone to it you know and, and a similar air of, of unremitting awfulness really yeah it's um, true and there's a very sort of Irish play going yes. on here but it, but when it started so she starts it starts when she's standing and we'll talk about the set in a minute but she's standing in her front room in essentially a slip holding a glass of whiskey and kind of staring traumatised into the distance and the first note of music I just thought oh god don't do this Mm -hmm. because you know every single Irish play that you see on the London stage it starts with like fiddles and Irish music and Mm -hmm. it's just like can we we not and we don't it turns out to be original brilliant contemporary music not a fiddle in sight um, composed by Maimuna Memon um, who is an incredible composer uh, brilliant musician. I just felt such a wash of relief yes. when I realised that what was happening was not what I thought was going to happen. So you're right to mention the set because basically the set is Portia's, uh, the living room that uh, she shares with her husband, Rayfield. Rayfield. We would say Raphael, I guess, but yeah, you know, Rayfield. Um, and the back wall is basically gone and we It'll see the rocks and the, yes, of the valley. And the song is sung by Portia's dead twin who's sort of in the shadows at the back. Again, I return to Alison Oliver. She is silent for the first minute of the play just purely acting with her body and her face and she's just you can't take your your eyes off her I think she's a truly great stage actress and and a good job too because I, my problem with this play is it there's not a lot of tonal variety in it it's quite overwrought there's humor in it but uh, you know it's very black humor i mean if you want a level of how uh, of what this play is like that portia's best friend has had an eye gouged out you yeah. don't really know you why or how but why. all you know she just says oh when look i've got some new eye. eye patches yes yeah. exactly when and i lost the eye she, she sometimes there shows her uh. socket to people you know in a, uh, and this is <laughs> like light relief it's really well done it the is production is really well really done well by done. Carrie Cracknell it, it's hugely atmospheric you can almost feel the sort of mist coming in off the river yeah. from it uh, or possibly cigarette bones. smoke mm-hmm. yes um, yeah. at one point a pub pops out of the wall the high chaparral oh, pub that. with this sort of uh, western you know, Irish slash cowboy barman who's just really funny yeah is that Conor McNeil is yeah. that Fintan yeah. Goulan the yes, character yeah right, he's yes. great he's, he's got great. that sort of real 
beta energy that yeah. works brilliantly. The cast is the cast is really good, you know, I yeah. think, all throughout. Um, Kathy Kira Clark playing Maggie Mae Dawley, yes. who is a sort of a kind of former sex worker with a very very boring, absolutely lovely husband. Yeah, there's a wonderful line in it where she says she says, "Oh, he wasn't born; he was knitted." Yeah, <laughs> which which actually <laughs> on a wet afternoon. On a wet afternoon, afternoon yes. sort of, but their relationship is extremely sweet. Yeah, and her kind of kindness and care for Portia is is I, I just think she she was brilliant and also Saoirse Cusack yes playing Blaze Scully who is Portia's grandmother yes um, and absolutely horrid yeah uh, she's vicious. a horrible vicious woman yeah really but malign. again everybody has you, you the, it, I mean it might only be sort of one or two lines but everybody's awfulness is explained. You yes. understand why everybody is like they are. It's not an excuse, but it's definitely a reason. But she's she's absolutely brilliant. And it's one reason why the why the play was radical for its time. You yeah. know, and still feels radical in some ways. In that in that uh, Portia does not love her children, is scared that she will do harm to them yeah. if she is near them. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of. Irish writing, a lot of male Irish writing is about sort of idealising uh, women and making yeah. them associated with the land and, you know, it's the sort of Mother Earth yeah. sort of thing. So to have, you know, really horrible mums, grandmothers, yeah, <laughs> and, you know, exactly. every every generation of woman is, is, is unidealised in that yeah. sense. I mean, she's, she's got this kind of uh, obsession with the river and obviously there's a, the, the reason for that is partly her, the death of her twin, but it's also... I feel like there's a lovely symbolism there in that rather than being associated with the land, she's associated with this quicksilver, fast-moving, dangerous thing. Mm. Um, And and it makes so much more sense for her personality. I oddly enjoyed it, Mm. um, even though it is pretty relentless. And I think part of that was just watching some fantastic performances. I think it's elevated. I think the play is elevated by those performances. I agree. I agree. I kept having flashbacks to uh, By the Bog of Cats, another Marina Carr play, which Holly Hunter came over from America oh, to yeah. and put on the most extraordinary Irish accent I've ever heard. You know, and we've all grown up with some pretty bad Irish yeah. accents, you know, from usually English performers. They were really interesting. Like last night, they like, the ones in this, they're very specific, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. And they're, it's, they're really it's called good. called the Midlands well, I mean, accent. I think they're really and good. And I took an Irish colleague of ours along yeah. to it last night who said, who, who grew up not a million miles away from there and said, this is absolutely bang on. Really? That's authentic. brilliant. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good production. Yes. Yeah. Basically, and I think it's I think it's worth seeing just for the acting alone. To be yes. Honest. Yeah. I agree. Well, Carrie Cracknell's revival of Marina Carr's Portia Coughlin is on until November the 18th at the Almeida Theatre, and you can hear our interview with Alison Oliver via the link in the show notes. And that's this week's episode of the Standard Theatre Podcast. Check out all our other episodes below, which include guests such as Alison Oliver, Joseph Fiennes, Antonia Thomas, and many, many more. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss us. Thanks to our producer, Rachel Abbott. We'll see you next Sunday. We were all gutted to hear a few days after recording the podcast off the death of the brilliant actress Hayden Gwynn at the age of 66. She was a huge favourite of all of ours. I fell completely in love with her is Alex in Drop the Dead Donkey in the 90s. And every time since that I saw her on stage and screen, I wanted to see more. She had an incredible warmth while being able to switch on a glorious chill when required. She'll be missed and our thoughts are with her sons and the rest of her family and friends.